Warning, the following broadcast is not intended to be a substitute for legal advice or firearm safety, competence, or proficiency training. This broadcast is solely for entertainment, discussion, and informational purposes. Side effects may include a sudden undeniable urge to exercise your Second Amendment rights, and you may in fact turn into a gun nut. You've been warned. Welcome back to Locked, Loaded, and Legal. I'm your host, attorney Mike Jeremita with Jeremita Law Offices with your host, Jose Morales, lead instructor of Philly Firearms Academy. Thank you, everybody, for joining us once again. Today, we're going to talk about the layers of defense, the role of awareness, alertness, and having a plan in place. Now, Jose, you've said in the past that the best gunfight is the one that never happens. And from the legal perspective, that is 100% correct. The chances of being involved in the legal system in one form or another after using your firearm defensively whether you pull the trigger or not, are extremely high, and that's never a pleasant experience. So let's talk a little bit about the role of situational awareness. Situational awareness is incredibly important, you know, and to underscore the importance of having plans and such in place, I'll be absolutely honest with you, Mike, and I've mentioned this before, I personally am not built for prison. Mm. And because I'm not built for prison, I make it a point to try to learn as much as I can about the law and uh, and try to operate within those parameters. And I've mentioned before, right, the best gunfight or the best situation that we uh, find ourselves in is the one that we avoid through awareness and alertness. And most of us are incredibly, incredibly unaware. Would you agree? Sure. I like playing this game. It's called, you know, um, meet the meat. As I walk down the street or drive down the street, I try to think outside the box, um, like from a criminal's perspective. And I say, you know what? Oh, who would make an easy target? And nine times out of ten, you see people incredibly distracted. We have so many barriers to our attention, right? We have iPods. We have iPhones. We have Twitter. We have Facebook. We have bills. We have life. And it's incredibly distracting. So I try to play this game and see if I were a criminal, who would be a soft target? Because that's what criminals want. They want an easy target. And uh, they want to go ahead and do their thing and move on to the next target. So to that end, um, I'm try to exercise situational awareness, which is the actively monitoring my surroundings all the time and trying to catch myself when I'm less aware and bump up my awareness level, but it's difficult to do. Um, Jeff Cooper, who was the uh, lead instructor and founder of Gunsight Academy and the who is acknowledged as the father of the modern technique of the firearm. He came up with what's called the Cooper Color Codes. It's a really simple scale uh, that codifies alertness and awareness, and it's really simple to uh, apply to our everyday lives. And there are four levels to them. One, two, three, four. I call them, you can label them one, two, three, four. They're actually color-coded as white, yellow, orange, and red. Have you heard those kind of used in... In the sure, past, all the time, yeah. yeah. So it's really, really simple. White is a total lack of awareness. If we can be surprised, if someone, if we're doing dishes, for example, and, and our wives or significant others sneak up behind us and you go, what the heck did you don't do that again? <laughs> don't scare me like that. You know, we're in condition white, which is a total lack of awareness. 
technically we should never be in condition white. Sure. We should never be, even in our beds at night, well, maybe when we're sleeping, right? But we have alarm systems, vehicles, you know, um, alarm systems, rather, firearms and such, layers of protection, right? So white is a total lack of awareness. Um, the second level is yellow, which is a relaxed state of awareness. And we do this every day when we drive, right? We're relaxed, but we're aware. We're conscious of what's happening around us. So the whole idea is to try to catch ourselves where in, when we're in level white and move ourselves up to level yellow, which is a relaxed state of awareness. We are relaxed and aware. If we see a potential threat, let's say we're driving down the street, we see a potential threat, we're in condition uh, yellow. Automatically, we bump up to condition orange, which is um, we see a potential threat. And we either create a plan of action or we access an existing plan. So if I'm driving, I see a ball bounce across the street. I go from yellow to orange, okay? I see a ball because, you know, what might follow that ball? Maybe a child. So if I do see a child, which is what would logically follow that ball from orange, I would go up to red, which is I see a threat and I implement the plan. So white, a total lack of awareness, Yellow, relaxed state of awareness. Orange, I see a potential threat and I create a plan or better yet, access an existing plan. Better to have one already. And then uh, red, the fight is on. Let me implement that plan. So if we catch ourselves and use these, these benchmarks for awareness, we can catch ourselves when we are in a total lack of awareness and bump ourselves up to from white to yellow. That makes sense? Absolutely. And, you know, some people might think it's a shame that we've got to live that way this day and age. But the fact of the matter is, it is the world that we live in. And I really like the driving correlation that you made, because I think people understand that when you're driving, if you're not aware, uh, dangerous things can happen. Right. right. People texting and driving, they're not paying attention to the road. If that ball bounce and does bounce in front of the road and you don't recognize it and that child pops up from wherever and you didn't see them coming... Very bad things can happen, but the fact of the matter is, we live in a world that even if you're not driving, very bad things can happen if you're not situationally aware. Listen, I, I honestly wish I lived in 1950s Kansas, but we, we don't. You know, it is it is the way it is. And being a fellow New Yorker, right, you mm. understand, you know, that, you know, we're constantly programmed, and at least as a New Yorker, to constantly be aware of our surroundings, especially if you're in the city proper. Growing up, it was second nature. If you look like meat, you're going to be eaten, right? So try not to look like meat meet so it starts with awareness and alertness catch yourselves please ladies and gentlemen catch yourselves when you're in a situation or a state where you can be snuck up on if someone can come up to you and and sneak up on you and and startle you you're in condition white the goal is to catch ourselves we're in condition white and move ourselves to condition yellow a relaxed state of awareness parents are great mommies have mommy vision and they're mm-hmm. constantly they could be cooking and and doing the doing the chores or watching the child and multitasking and they are always you know they're always aware and alert you know parents are great with in in that respect so again relaxed state of awareness not paranoia relaxed state of awareness now do sometimes we do the exact opposite of the find the meat game meaning you're in a place and you're looking around and you're trying to determine who here could be a threat and we're sizing them up and figuring out what exactly we would need to do to protect ourselves or our loved ones in that sort of a situation absolutely absolutely and again 
you know, use a little common sense. The problem is that we're all generally card-carrying good guys, and we don't think like criminals. We have to adopt a little bit of the criminal mindset and say, you know what, if I were a bad guy or girl, because we're not sexist, you know, who would I attack? When are am I most vulnerable? Who is vulnerable? And then we use that to, uh, to beef up our security, so to speak. So absolutely, when I go into an unknown location like a Wawa or a, you know, a 7-Eleven, a convenience store, I scan, actively scan and look for threats. Uh, another thing I do is when I go into a restaurant, I not only look at the exits that we use, but also the exits and entrances that the individuals and workers use. Because, again, we may need to use that those exits um, that aren't common to us as visitors. And it's important to know, hey, what are in access and egress points as well, which most people don't do. They just look at the, the doors that are marked exit and entrance, you know? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up with the exits and the escape plan and things of that nature. Because sometimes when people are looking for potential threats, uh, I, I feel like they may have the attitude that they're thinking of how can I attack this potential threat rather than how can I exit the situation and avoid absolutely and avoid that situation. And it's about and you hit the nail on the head. It's about having plans in place prior to needing them, and we will know we know when we're most vulnerable. Look at the news, figure out how others have been assaulted, and let's create plans in place in that event in the event that, that happens to us. So, in our next segment, we're going to talk about more concrete ways that we can implement these plans prior to needing them. Hi, Jose Morales here. Mike and I want to take a minute to thank each and every one of you for taking the time to listen to us. If you find the broadcast interesting or informative, please tell others about us and consider showing your support either by becoming a patron on Patreon or through a donation on PayPal via the links at LockedLoadedAndLegal.com. Thanks again and stay safe. And we're back with another segment of Locked, Loaded, and Legal. But before we go on, I want to urge our audience to visit us, please, at LockedLoadedAndLegal.com. There you'll find our various links to our social media outlets, ways to contact us. And ladies and gentlemen, please reach out to us and let us know what you'd like to hear from us, what would you like to learn, and the content you're most interested in. All critique and information and requests are truly, truly appreciated. So, before we left, we were talking about situational awareness and the importance of situational awareness and also paying particular attention to entrances and exits when we go to new areas and such. Um, are there any legal implications, Mike, um, on that front, in your opinion? Sure. One thing that came to mind was the duty to retreat. And in Pennsylvania, particularly, we've got a duty to retreat if we can do it with complete safety. Now, keep in mind that the law doesn't require you to put yourself at risk of death or serious bodily injury by not retreating, uh, but we've generally got that duty to retreat if we can do it with complete safety. There are a couple of exceptions, including the Castle Doctrine, dealing with uh, folks in their home, and stand your ground, and understand your ground. If a few requirements are met, there will be no duty to retreat, even if you can do it with complete safety. But people need to remember that general rule that uh, before using force or deadly force we've got a duty to retreat if we can do it with complete safety now uh, different states may have different requirements when it comes to that duty to retreat but it's important to keep that in mind as a general principle 
So it's also, you know, so that makes total sense. It would make sense when you enter new areas to be able to look um, for areas of egress, maybe even non-traditional areas, because we're usually tied up in, you know, following the herd. And, you know, the entrances that everybody enters through and, and exits from are the ones that we're most aware of. Sure. And people have asked me, they said, well, Mike, even if the law doesn't require you to retreat, wouldn't you want to retreat if you could? And that's really not a decision for me to make for people. I can tell you what the law says. I went to law school. I didn't go to moral school necessarily. (laughs) Uh, So that's a decision that you're going to have to make for yourself. And it's also a decision that requires some forethought. Again, it's about having plans in place prior to needing them. So, you know, again, I'm a big fan of learning from history. You know, I... You know, I pay particular attention to these tragedies, quote unquote, and I, I put myself in those in those situations and say, well, you know what, if I were in an active shooter situation such as Las Vegas, what would I do? You know, what were some of the best practices if I'm out somewhere and something happens? What, you know, are some of the plans that I can in I can uh, enact with my family and such to keep them safe? Because, again, we may want to retreat. We may want to leave um, as long as it can be done in complete safety, because it's really about the safety of ourselves and our families. Right. We're not law enforcement officers. Sure. And it's a shame that we've got to think like that, but it's almost to the point where if we don't think about what to do in these sorts of situations, when we've already got examples of them, then it's, it's our fault to some degree if we don't do everything that we can to avoid them or to make it out as safely as possible. So now that we've highlighted the importance of situational awareness and alertness, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about how we could put this into practice, Jose? Well, one of the things that a lot of my students really kind of uh, have gotten benefits from is having a duress phrase. If you are with your, your family, your friends, your significant other, your children, have a phrase that you can utter to the family, something that makes sense to the family that lets them know, hey, it's time to get the heck out of here, okay? And you communicate this so that when they when it's uttered, there are no questions. You just go ahead and you just leave. Because, again, we have a responsibility to protect ourselves and our family. So it can be something as, um, as simple as, you know, we should go and get some ice cream. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but the phrase has to be understood so that everybody's on the same page. And they say, you know what? When, uh, when Mike says, hey, we, maybe we should go get some ice cream, then it's time to stop what we're doing and turn around and leave because we've noticed something that might be a potential threat. Again, it's important to communicate it because if your family likes ice cream, it may start a dialogue. <laughs> well, right? I guess the, the, the worst case scenario then is that you owe them some ice cream, right? They hold your feet to the fire. But I think that's still better than if you're in a situation where there is a legitimate threat and you've got to get out of there having them confused as to why you want to leave and maybe and putting get, get up a fight a, right yeah or get into a, you know a back and forth well should we or shouldn't we again it, these these um, plans have to be clear and have to be communicated and it's really important to, that everybody that's involved be on the same page whether you have whether you're married and you have a spouse or children or family members uh, roommates again it's important to have these plans in place prior to needing them um, so that you can um, you, you know you can carry them out when you need them you know that makes sense. So these these are things that you definitely have to discuss with your family in order to have that plan in place, and I'm sure it's something you want to 
keep fresh in their mind over and over again. Absolutely. Maybe exercise every once in a while, like fire drills. You know, uh, one of my students says he has these drills. Uh, I did a, uh, a session at his home. We did some home security, uh, some home security tips and such. And this is one of the things that he actively, he actively uses all of the time. And his children know the process. And every once in a while, he'll, he'll, he'll exercise almost like a fire drill to, make, to keep it fresh in everybody's mind. So again, it's important to have these plans in place uh, because again, you don't want to figure out, try to figure out a plan when you absolutely need it. There are too many stressors there. Well, that's great. And I'm sure a lot of people don't necessarily think about that. Sometimes we focus so much on using the firearm itself and how do we protect ourselves when that gun comes out. Um, But this could be an excellent tool for people to not have to be in that situation. Absolutely. And we talked a little bit about, at the beginning, layers of defense, layers of awareness, layers of defense. You know, if all you walk around with is a gun, then everything looks like a gun problem. If all you walk around with is a hammer, you ever heard that? Mm. Everything looks like a nail. Every problem Mm. looks like a nail. I'm a firm believer in, again, layers of awareness and alertness, layers of defense, rather. So, Or maybe you don't think of everything as a nail. Uh, I've had a lot of people in my life who are unfamiliar with firearms from New York particularly, friends and family. They don't understand the gun-owning lifestyle, and they seem to have this concern early on that, well, if you carry a gun, you're going to want to shoot somebody. I've found it's actually the exact that's opposite. That's the furthest thing from the truth. Yeah, I, I feel like I've got a responsibility to uphold, and so that's the last thing I want to do. But at the same time, if you don't have these additional measures in place between, then maybe you're not going to reach for that firearm too quickly, but you've also got nothing to help yourself in situations leading up to that point where deadly force is immediately necessary. Right. Well, absolutely. And we have to use equal force. Right. We don't you know, we're not police officers with a, you know, with the force continuum at our beck and call. We have to use equal force. And so sometimes the right approach is running away or the right approach is maybe a defensive spray or some kind of electric, um, you know, a defense tool like a taser or a stun gun. Um, you know, so there's layers and options of, of uh, layers of protection. If you don't have that pepper spray in your pocket, you can only you can't use what you don't have. Exactly. And if you've got no options in place for those kinds of situations, then you're, you know, you're setting yourself up for failure. I'm glad you brought up those alternative methods of self-defense uh, beyond hand-to-hand combat. You've also got other options in the form of weapons that may assist people who perhaps aren't physically capable of tangling up with people. Right? Hand-to-hand combat. You know, you, 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 know, you, you, uh, you imagine someone that's young and fit and say, you know, um, some, we have some seniors that are in, uh, people with physical disabilities that are unable to, to, you know, to implement hand-to-hand combat. So uh, having options to protect themselves are phenomenal, and then those options have to be readily available. One of the things that drives me crazy is people who have pepper spray or defensive spray in the bottom of their, of their you know, attache case in the the back seat and they can't access it if they're at a stoplight and someone decides to try to pry them from their vehicle so again having having that defensive spray in the pocket of your uh, your door in your vehicle makes a lot more sense than having it um, you know in in somewhere that's inaccessible so is that one of the options that you suggest to people absolutely layers of defense defensive spray is absolutely an option but it's, it's actually picking the correct one as well because not all of them are created equal and we can pick up on that where we left off in the next segment
we're back with Locked, Loaded, and Legal. Before we were talking about some tools for self-defense other than firearms, and we left off at pepper spray. So, Jose, what are some other common tools that are available to us? Well, defensive spray is at the top of the list. I usually get people asking questions about uh, electrical devices like stun guns and tasers uh, and uh, them and those things as options for, for protection, which I'm not a particular fan of because of the proximity. You have to be in close proximity to a person, so I'm not a big fan of tasers and uh, and stun guns. I believe tasers refer to the brand, and stun guns are any other close proximity um, electrical defensive items. Sure, and I think tasers actually have the little prods that come on out and... Yep, they, they those are ones that shoot person, out. Yep, absolutely. Right, yep. as opposed to stun guns, you actually touch the person with one of those. Sorts you have to of reach things. out and touch them. Yep. Yeah, reach out and touch them. Now we've seen some cases on the news where law enforcement officers or honorary law enforcement officers were involved in situations where they had a firearm on their person, but they also had a taser on their person. And when situations went down, they used the firearm when they allegedly thought they were using the taser. Could you see this posing a problem? Well, I, I can absolutely see that posing a problem. I'm about to be a little bit critical, though, just in general, because it all really boils down to efficacy of training and whether you train with your with your equipment. Uh, but I can see that happening. I've seen similar situations uh, with an individuals that have used flashlights that have grip actuations. So, you know, some of those uh, flashlights that are attached to the firearms, mm-hmm. um, in order to turn them on, instead of using your thumbs or your fingers, they have some grip-activated ones. And we have a flinch uh, reflex. You know, we have a grasp reflex, rather. So I've heard of situations where police officers have cleared areas and have uh, been startled, and that flinch, that, that grasp reflex, when they flinch, makes their trigger yeah. finger pop back oh, if they goodness. have bad trigger, yeah, bad tr- trigger control. So as a general rule, I asked, I tell my students, I'm not a big fan of um, grip-activated lights or lasers because, again, in my opinion, the, the trigger finger does one thing and one thing only. The grip does one thing and one thing only, which is, you know, hold on, holds on to your gun and gives you hold control. Um, so, again, you don't want to go ahead and, and accidentally flinch and that finger is on that trigger. You're going to have a bad day and uh, you're going to be calling Mike Giromita of Giromita Law. Oh, no. You don't want that call. Yeah. And I work with a couple of retired state police and they recall when state police introduced the option of wearing the taser on body along with the firearm. And they were against this idea because they saw that there could be some confusion that would come into play. And lo and behold, they were right at least on a couple of occasions. And that's with police officers that train with equipment, that go through certifications, that are there constantly working with that equipment. Now, we as civilians, you know, we go to a gun show or we go to a gun store, we buy a, you know, we buy a taser, we buy a stun gun. We don't practice with that thing. We don't train, generally speaking, with that thing. And and so, you know, our liability may even be greater. That's a good point. That's a good point. It's not like we're going to the range every day with our (laughs) taser or anything like that. Now, I'm not saying, guys, to go (laughs) ahead and tase your significant other or someone just to practice. But, you know, role play. Practice with these things as well. If you're going to be carrying a taser, practice with it. If you're going to be carrying pepper spray. I practice with it, even if it's not um, actually squirting it and spraying it. I practice um, making sure that I access it uh, properly, that I can get it off my keys, that I have it in my pocket when I need to. 
Mine has a little lock that I practice locking and unlocking while in my pocket so that if I need to use it, I get into the habit of having it in my left hand if I'm going to be opening my door with my right hand. Again, sneak in a couple of repetitions whenever you can because, again, we're, you know, we're not police officers. We need to practice with these things so that we can use them when we need them. And I know many law enforcement officers actually get sprayed with the pepper spray as a part of their training. Doesn't that sound exciting? Oh, absolutely. All of our military and law enforcement are at the military you know get oc'd i get us i get oc'd in, uh, in the when i was in the army it's not fun i think it's, it's important to know where fun. you're dissing out though with the pepper spray it is important it is absolutely important to do that yes so you know what you're doing in those kinds of situations and i think i'd even offer to our listeners that if we reach 10,000 subscribers jose and i will go through the training and get pepper sprayed on camera what do you think we of that? were just talking about thank you for uh, <laughs> thank you for volunteering me mike yeah, yeah. last time we were talking during a break you said you would get sprayed uh, maybe yeah. i'll get sprayed we'll go we'll see but at the very least mike giaramita is offering to get pepper sprayed at 10,000 uh, subscribers to the podcast we will videotape this and we will host it on our website and we'll, we'll uh, hopefully see mike uh, Mike, uh, you know, just cough up, uh, uh, cough up a storm. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. So, what else do we have? Now, but, but let me just backtrack yeah. really quickly. It's it, it is important to uh, to get um, to experience. I believe if you can. Um, what the pepper spray is like because not all pepper spray is created equal. It is organic, guys. So if you've bought your uh, pepper spray from a less than reputable place, meaning a, a convenience store somewhere, just be aware that that convenience store may not buy the, the highest quality pepper spray. It is organic if it's pepper spray and has an expiration date. So mm. there is an expiration date that is tied into efficacy. So if your pepper spray is more than, let's say, three to five years old, look at that label in the back. It'll tell you valid or good until such and such a date. That's important to, to be able to tell and if you're going to get sprayed let's just say you're going to get sprayed with that because you want to see what it feels like be aware that you don't have any pre-existing medical conditions like asthma again just be careful even when you're spraying it the direction of the wind is really important people don't Mm -hmm. realize that you know though if you're not aware of the direction of the wind that's going to come back into your face and so again it's it does require some training sure and when we do this we will be doing it with a qualified professional (laughs) just just throwing that out there absolutely now, um, less than lethal. We talked about less than lethal not meaning not lethal. Uh, yeah, I want to talk about that just briefly because in terms of the law, sometimes this can get tricky. I've seen ammunition in the store where it claims to be less lethal or less than lethal. But on the box, it specifically says, warning this product may cause death or serious bodily injury. Now, the problem is that many deadly force standards from state to state specifically include that type of injury. In Pennsylvania, the term deadly force is defined as any type of force readily capable of causing death or serious bodily injury. It doesn't have to cause death or serious bodily injury, but it must be readily capable of causing death or serious bodily injury. So if it's got on the box that it may cause death or serious bodily injury, then that's probably deadly force, and you gotta keep that in mind in terms of justification. And even if it doesn't say on the box, I mean, you know, a little common sense goes a long way. Sure. If that beanbag, they may not say, listen, you know, if you shoot somebody in the chest with this, it can cause death or serious bodily harm. I mean, mm-hmm. a little common sense says that, hey, if if I shoot somebody in the chest with a beanbag from a shotgun, um, it may cause death or serious bodily harm. You're still technically liable, right? Yeah, there was even a case in Pennsylvania where somebody shot somebody in the eye with a BB gun from close range, and because it's readily capable of causing blindness, 
that's substantial bodily injury, serious bodily injury. Mm. So it constituted deadly force. Interesting, interesting. So we have to be aware of all of these variables, especially, you know, if we're going to be, you know, becoming proactive in our ability to protect ourselves, you know, it's really, really important. Now, one other thing you want to keep in mind is that if you're going to use these other tools, right, if you're going to use something like pepper spray or a taser or something of that nature, you need to make sure that your tools are compliant with state and local restrictions because these laws vary dramatically from state to state and many times they vary dramatically within the state. If you've got local governments who are able to enact ordinances regarding these types of weapons, uh, many times you can be in one county where something's perfectly lawful and then go into the next county and it's not lawful. So we need to make sure that we're aware of the law so we don't become accidental criminals. Uh, well, that's a really, really good point. And, you know, one of my, my final point, it's been kind of uh, coming up in, in over and over in my mind to, to mention to our listeners is that um, the combat mindset and importance of the combat mindset. I years ago I I um I purchased less less lethal ammunition um, years ago. I've had I've had some for my shotgun. Um, and then upon reflection I've been wondering I, I started thinking whether or not it was kind of the best option to have. As as um, morose as it sounds, if we're in a situation that requires us to use deadly force, it generally is because we're in immediate and unavoidable danger of death, crippling injury, sexual assault, or kidnapping. Right. So if I'm in a situation like that, me or my loved one, do I want something that may or may not work, may or may not stop the bad guy or girl from coming at me? You know, less than lethal stuff, while more quote-unquote humane, may not be as effective as defensive rounds that are created to stop a threat. So uh, our listeners need to think about that as well and find some comfort if they're going to be using a tool of deadly force to be able to have that mindset to say, you know what, first and foremost, I need to be able to protect myself and my family, make that commitment to do so, and uh, and have the option to be able to protect themselves. That's a good point. And we talked about in a previous episode, nobody is lining up or volunteering to get shot with a twenty two necessarily. But you've got guys like Johnny Knoxville who would line up to maybe uh, get shot with a beanbag <laughs> or something of that nature. So while it, it's capable of causing death or serious bodily injury, that may be where you draw the line as far as what you use well, to stop deadly bullets, threats, right? Well, those rubber bullets, those rubber bullets that you know, police officers have been, um, have been. It's been noted that in uh, in certain riots and such, rubber bullets or even those tear gas guns have hit people and killed them. Mm. You know, so and those aren't technically, uh, you know, they're they're technically label as less and less lethal rounds as well so again less lethal doesn't mean uh, not capable of really really giving messing you up and uh, causing you to have a really bad day sure and we want to find a balance between something that uh, gets the job done right right uh, so we're not shortchanging ourselves in that respect so and by getting the job done guys for those people who are you know not gun people we don't mean killing someone we mean again stopping the threat sure if we're in a situation where we have no choice but to use the gun we want the most effective tool to make them stop doing whatever it is that caused us to have to pull out that gun to begin with Sure. There's no two ways about it. We don't want to put ourselves in these situations. We don't want to be in these situations. But it's a decision that many people have made under the law where if it comes down to protecting themselves or their loved ones and preserving their lives, then uh, this is a decision that they've made that they're willing to take these actions. So, Mike, uh, quick question. Do you, do you uh, have any defensive spray, any pepper spray you carry? Sure. We've got pepper spray. Uh, we got to make sure that what we've got is Jersey compliant. We travel over there a whole lot. 
So uh, you've got limitations on the amount of pepper spray you can have in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and particularly with us traveling from Pennsylvania to New York to New Jersey to visit family, we've really got to be careful about what we have because these are some of the states with the strictest laws dealing with possession of weapons, even other than firearms. So you've really got to keep that kind of stuff in mind. That's a really valid point. Again, if you know nothing says I love you to your spouse on Valentine's Day or to your significant other than giving them an option and an ability to protect themselves. So I try to, you know, do as I get older, I try to give people that I care about options to protect themselves. And, uh, you know, I give them pepper spray and things like that. But what I do is I make sure that they have options to carry them as well. So with my wife, I just don't put it on her keychain. I buy her one for, you know, for her car, another one for, you know, the, uh, for her keychain, another one for each of her briefcases so that it's, um, so that she is more likely to be able to carry them because she has access to them as well, which is really important. It's absolutely important. And again, another reminder, just make sure that whatever you are using is compliant with your state and local laws. I know they have sites that sell these types of items online, and many times they won't ship to certain states. And I've had people come over to me and say, well, Mike, they wouldn't ship it to me for some reason, so I had it shipped to my uncle who lives <laughs> well, in another maybe state. maybe I shouldn't have and had it. And I go, it, huh? picked it up. And many times when they won't ship there, it's there's a reason behind it, right? They're, they're illegal in your state. So make sure that you're absolutely 100% certain of those laws. If you're out of state for a gun show, maybe, mm-hmm. and they have these things that uh, you know don't seem as dramatic as taking <laughs> home an illegal firearm, you, know, you, you would know that uh, you've got to follow certain precautions in order to purchase a firearm across state lines, meaning you know, if you're buying from an FFL, and it's a long gun, or if it's a handgun, you got to have it shipped to an FFL in your home state, you know, your federal firearms licensee or your dealer. Now, when it comes to these other types of weapons, you just go up to a, a stand, mm-hmm. and you figure because you're able to purchase it then and there, then you're good to go. You didn't break any laws, but unfortunately, if you cross that right. border and it's illegal to possess that particular item, then you're going to end up in trouble. So make sure that whatever you're using is compliant with your state and local laws. Absolutely. And again, guys, the whole goal of this podcast is to teach you because you really don't have to learn the hard way, right? Too many people learn the hard way, and that's what this is all about. Uh, You can learn from other people's mistakes and learn by training yourself, giving it the time, giving it the energy, and giving it the thought that it deserves because this is a very serious decision. Absolutely. And have layers of defense. Have options other than harsh language to protect yourself and your family. That's always kind of a good deal and, and a good thing to do. And and also practice, you know, practice with your gear, train with your gear, and again, have plans in place prior to needing them. Again, we don't want to learn the hard way. Now, in Pennsylvania, even though we're pretty friendly when it comes to weapons, there are a couple of other things that would be prohibited over here. We get into daggers, we get into blackjacks, uh, things of that nature. So even in states where they are pretty friendly, you've got to look out for these things that may be prohibited. They've even got a, a particular catch-all with the prohibited defensive weapons statute talking about uh, weapons that serve no common lawful purpose. So it's important to keep that in mind. Perhaps that's fodder for another show. All right. Well, guys, um, I think this pretty much gets us to the end of this current episode of Locked, Loaded, and Legal. If you have any questions on any of the show content, visit us at LockedLoadedAndLegal.com. Reach out to us via our various uh, social media outlets. And remember, take some steps to make yourself and your family members a little bit safer today, tomorrow, and always. I'm Jose Morales with Mike Jeremita. Take care, folks. Be safe.
Thank you for listening to another episode of Locked, Loaded, and Legal, brought to you by Philly Firearms Radio. For more information and to show your support, visit LockedLoadedAndLegal.com.